Well, good morning and welcome to Ritzer Road Alliance Church online and at home. We are so glad that you have joined with us this morning. My name is Pastor Chris and I have the privilege of being the pastor of the, the church here. And this morning, if you are joining us live, either on Facebook or through the live stream on our website, would you just leave us a comment in the comment section or in the chat to just let us know that you are here. This morning, we are honoring our government's stay-at-home mandate, and so you're going to be getting a glimpse, well, not a whole big glimpse, but you get a little bit of a glimpse into our home. And uh, so we will be, we'll be live streaming here for the next few weeks. And so for the next few weeks, our services are going to look a little bit different. We're going to be back into streaming from the home. And uh, because we're going to be live streaming from my house, we won't have any live worship. Um, but our worship teams are working hard to provide some songs and some links to some YouTube videos to, to help you to, to come into a place of worship. And so we're going to be sending those out through the week. I, there should be some in the chat already this morning. Um, but we encourage you, if, if you need to worship, to take some time to reflect on those songs, to praise God, and uh, just enter into a place of worship. This morning, I want to start off by just saying thank, saying thank you to you and letting you know just how thankful we are for the way that you join with us and the way that you've been partnering with us as a church. And we know that many of you partner with us through prayer, you partner with us through service, and, and even through your finances. And it, it, it means everything to us because ultimately we can't do anything um, without the blessings that God has given us and without your sacrificial giving. Uh, in all of these ways. And so we just want to say thank you for your generous support and for the ways that you continue to uplift us as a church. And we invite you to continue to do that, to continue to support us, continue to lift us up in prayer and, uh, and join with us in partnership as a church. I also want to encourage you that as a church, our intention really is not um, that we are consumers. It is not that we just simply keep our faith to ourselves and because a Christian life is not simply about consuming. It is not simply about stockpiling a whole bunch of feel-good moments. And, and at the same time, it's not even about a long list of rules and regulations that have to be strictly followed. As we follow God and as we are putting our trust in Jesus, we certainly experience those moments of joy and peace, happiness. And God has certainly given us some commands that help us to live righteous lives. But one of the most profound parts of the Christian life, at least for me, that I've experienced, and I believe it to be true, is that we are called and we are commissioned to share the things of God with others. We're not just meant to, you know, come and, and sit in a church on Sunday mornings and, and feel good about ourselves and go home and forget about it. We are called to take the work that Jesus is doing in our lives and to teach it to others, to help others to know and experience those same things. And I recognize that it's hard right now. You know, even those who have the most tremendous amounts of faith and hope and peace are feeling the weight and heaviness of life. Uh, it's hard. It's been a tough season. And, you know, so with that in mind, I, I think it's actually even more important that we are sharing our faith, that we are sharing our reason for hope and, and the peace that we have with others around us who so desperately need it. Uh, especially given the lockdown that we're facing here in Ontario and, and across Canada and North America. And we desperately need more of Jesus. We desperately need to know his hope and, and the peace that comes from a relationship with him. 
And so I encourage you to connect with your neighbors or your friends and your family. And you might have to get creative on that and how you would do that. Maybe it's, uh, you know, old school home improvement, Tim Taylor talking to his neighbor over the fence. But um, share the love that you have because of Jesus Christ. Share the things that God has been teaching you with others. And there's just one other thing before we kind of move into a time of prayer in the beginning of the services, and it's this. You can't share with others what you haven't experienced yourself. You can talk until you're blue in the face about all of these things, about the love of God, about the peace of God. But if you've never truly experienced them in your own life, all of those things, all of that teaching, it's going to fall flat. It's going to feel a little bit empty, I think. And so my hope, and as a church, one of our hopes and our intentions every week is that you would actually experience God. That you would experience Jesus and the Holy Spirit every single day and every single week uh, in some way or shape or form. That he would be speaking to you, that you would be able to enter into his presence, that he would lead you and guide you. And that's our hope this morning. That's my prayer for you this morning. That God would meet with you today. And so this morning, I want to begin our service just with a word of prayer and inviting God to be present with us, inviting him to speak to us. And so would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father God, I thank you so much for the work that you are doing in our lives, that you actually are a God who longs to meet with us. You are a God who is present and not off somewhere. That we can come and experience you. And Lord, that as we experience you, we have the privilege of sharing your love and your peace and your grace and those things that you are doing in our lives with others that you have commanded and commissioned us to teach the good news about Jesus to everyone else. So this morning, Lord, would we not just have empty words and empty theology, but would we have a living and breathing experience in, as we meet in you and experience your presence. So we invite you to come, Lord, speak to us today. Meet with us. And through all of these things, would you be honored and glorified? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, well I want to take a moment for those kids that are maybe watching. Um, we have a special kids moment for you. And so would you take a look at, at this video? video, especially at the beginning when the, the guy's in the bathroom praying and they throw the toilet paper over the stall. I'm sure some of us have been in that place where we, want, we have those kind of prayers. But I want to just remind you that we're in a series called Teach Us to Pray. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring this topic of prayer. And uh, I've entitled the series Teach Us to Pray because prayer was one of the topics that the disciples specifically asked Jesus to teach them about. Uh, and more and more, I'm coming to the realization that although prayer is a universal um, kind of instinct that all of us have, at some point, all of us will likely pray. It's one of those spiritual disciplines that many of us struggle with. Um, we might say we long to pray, but we really maybe don't know how, or we just don't find it captivating or find a way to enter into a, that prayer. Prayer. And so like the disciples, we have this ability to ask Jesus to teach us to pray. And so in response to Jesus or the disciples asking Jesus to teach them to pray, 
Jesus actually goes on to teach them what's called the Lord's Prayer. He actually gives them instructions on how to pray. And we're going to be looking at that a little bit more today. But before we dig into that, I just want to kind of give you a recap on some of the things we touched on last week. And if you missed the sermon, you're welcome to go back onto our website or onto Facebook, and you can catch up and, and review it. But last week I shared with you that prayer is essential to our lives. Uh, it's something that we desperately need. And it can be described as how we experience and connect with God. It's a conversation with and not at God. And I shared with you that there is kind of three aspects about prayer that we can learn. The first one is that prayer can be learned. And so just like the disciples who watched Jesus pray, and then they asked him, teach us to pray, we can learn how to pray as well. The second aspect of prayer is that it's a lot like art. You know, there's a whole bunch of different ways to pray. We have all sorts of different mediums and forms and expression of what prayer might look like. And like any good artist, we have a whole bunch of tools at our, dis our disposal that we can use when it comes to, to how to pray. And the third aspect of prayer is that it's a lot like push-ups. Uh, it's something that you, it's, it's a skill that you have to learn and it takes time to develop and build up. It just doesn't happen overnight. And so these are just a few of the quick things about prayer that we looked at last week. And one of the other things I invited you to last week was to set aside a time to pray. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that. If you haven't already set aside a time to pray, do that this week. Find a time each day when you can set aside that the few moments for prayer. And remember, this isn't just some kind of unattainable goal. If you haven't been praying and, uh, for very long or if you've kind of been out of it, don't set a goal of like three hours and suddenly expect that you're going to be praying for three hours. Start by something with something attainable. Maybe it's even 15 minutes where you're just able to set aside time to meet with God and to experience Him. I'm really wanting to encourage us as a church to begin to make prayer a priority in both our personal lives and in the greater context of who we are as a church. You know, we'll start with 15 minutes and hopefully we continue to make it a lifestyle. But I want to ask you a few questions for those of you who were with us last week who, who may be committed to doing the prayer. Um, and you might not be able to respond. You're not able to respond to me in person. I won't hear what you have to say, but maybe you want to put something in the chat or maybe you want to share with somebody else just briefly. But if you took time this past week to pray, how did it go? Were you able to set a goal and then stick with it? Did you find it easy to pray each day? Or did you find that it was a struggle to, to know what to say? You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I really do struggle with what to say during prayer. I come and I have all of these requests and, you know, I can pray through them really quickly. And I lay them all down before God. You know, I pray things like that COVID would end. Ultimately, you know, we want lockdown to come to a close. We want people to be healthy and, 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 and yeah, just not have to be living in fear. I can pray for things like my friends and my family, or I can pray for a new car or whatever it might be. But eventually I find that if I continue just to lay down like requests before God, um, then it starts to feel a little bit empty. I start to feel like maybe this isn't meaningful anymore. And don't get me wrong. We are actually invited to, to come to God with our requests and to ask him for things as we're going to see in a little bit. 
But if all I ever do is come to God with my shopping list and, and treat him like he's some form of Amazon, uh, something starts to begin to feel off. And that's what I love about when the disciples come to Jesus and ask him to teach them how to pray, Jesus actually does it. And, and Luke records it for us. And so we actually get to see and read the, the way that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and so that we can apply it to our own lives. So I want to invite you to read with me Luke chapter 11. It says this, On one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. You see, the Gospel of Matthew also records this prayer. And Matthew records a much longer version of this prayer. And so what we have here in, in the Gospel of Luke is a little bit of a shorter, more condensed version of the prayer. But whether you've read it in Matthew or whether, whether you've read it in Luke, it, if you've spent any kind of time in the church, it's likely that you have prayed this prayer at some point, in some form or another. And what I love is that Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers this way. He begins by saying, Our Father. And so for Jesus, prayer starts from a right understanding of who God is. And he begins by telling us, Address God as your Father. In the Old Testament, as you read through the Bible, you'll see that the word Father, with reference to God, is actually only used somewhere between 12 and 14 times. Um, and almost all of those times where we see the reference to God as the Father, they are symbolic or metaphorical allusions to God, rather than a personal relationship with Him. You see, one of the things about the Hebrews and the, and the Jewish people was that um, they had the utmost respect for God. They were so, so keen on revering God and worshiping him that they would actually go to great lengths um, to maintain this reverence, um, including not even saying God's name out loud. They wouldn't say the name Yahweh. In fact, whenever they would read their scrolls or their scriptures, they would actually substitute God, God's name for the name Adonai out of respect and holiness for who God was and his name. But as we enter into the New Testament, we see that something begins to change. Something profound happens as Jesus begins to teach and to lead his disciples in his ministry. He radically changes the way people address God. Father was Jesus' favorite name for God. Uh, he used it all of the time. In fact, Jesus uses the word Father for God 15 times in the Sermon on the Mount alone, which is already more than the Old Testament combined. And he uses the name Father more than 40 times in Matthew's Gospel alone. That's incredible. The word Father, as God is used over 170 times in the New Testament. So as you read through the New Testament, you begin to see this shift of how they addressed God. And so every single one of Jesus' prayers, with the exception of when he is on the cross and he quotes Psalm 22, begins by him addressing God as his Father. And so Jesus knew that God was his Father. 
and that he could approach the Father with a deep level of intimacy. And he actually invites us to do the very same thing. If we turn to Galatians chapter 4, we read this. If it says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You see, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you are adopted into God's family. You become a son or daughter of God. And when we receive the Spirit of God, the Spirit is the one that is inside us who recognizes and calls out to God as Father. The entire Lord's Prayer is rooted in our sharing of God's, of Jesus' experience of having God as our Father. This is an incredible truth for us. Now, for some of us, acknowledging God as Father will be a little bit hard. Some people have deep father wounds, and maybe you didn't have a really good experience with your own father. Maybe you didn't even know your father. And so you may need to actually go on some form of an emotional or spiritual journey to get to the place where you can acknowledge God as your father. This is part of the discipleship process. It's part about growing closer to God and, and be understanding the father's heart. Because until we get the right perspective on who God is, we're going to have difficulties developing a real heart for prayer. You see, Jesus knew that how you view God will ultimately make or break your prayer life. And so if this is you, if you are one of those individuals who is carrying deep father wounds, just know this, you are not alone. There are people that have experienced this and who have come to places of deep intimacy with God and knowing him as their father. It isn't a hopeless state. It is something that we can learn and grow and find healing in. And so we want to journey with you. If, that, if that's you, we want to come alongside you to help you to experience the Father's heart. We want you to, to experience his truth, that he is a good and loving Father. We have some good discipleship groups that are going to be starting, and so there's something you can join. And they touch on these very issues, and it's about going deeper with God, coming to those places where you've experienced that healing. But Jesus longs to meet you in your brokenness, and he longs for you to understand the Father's heart towards you, so that just like he addressed God as his Father, we too can come to that intimate place of acknowledging and praying to our Heavenly Father. And so as Jesus continues, he begins by saying, Hallowed be your name. And so once we recognize who God is, we're able to acknowledge his nature and, his, and who he is. And the word hallowed simply means to make holy, to honor, or even to consider sacred. And so even though Jesus prayed from a place of intimacy, it wasn't a place of irreverence. He wasn't just coming at, you know, like Jesus is my homeboy or God is my homeboy. Like he still had a respect and an honor for who God is. Jesus understood that God was worthy of our prayers and our worship. Because ultimately, our primary goal in prayer is an intimate, joyful worship of God. And so in hallowing the name of God, this is what we're doing. We are making it clear who we are worshiping. You know, we're not worshiping some idol. We're not even worshiping some image of a God that we have created. We are worshiping the living God. 
just as he really is in all of his glory, in all of his infinite holiness, power, wisdom, goodness, and love. And so there might be times where it's hard to hallow the name of God, mostly because we've actually created barriers to our worship of him. Oftentimes we spend so much time trying to analyze who God is that then we actually forget to spend time worshiping him. Or maybe we are caught up worrying that we won't have the right things to say, and so we keep our mouth shut. And so the truth is, is that simple prayers are a great place to start. Start with what you know about God. They don't have to be the most eloquent prayers or where you name all of the attributes of God. You know, most of the prayers in the Bible were, were not lofty pieces of literary achievement. They were not going to win some literary prizes. They were simply words that came from the heart. And so if you don't know where to start or you run out of things to say when it comes to hallowing God, I'd invite you to consider turning to the Psalms. The Psalmists were great at worshiping God and hallowing his name. And we can even consider Psalm 146 verses 6 to 9 where the Psalmist said, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. This is who God is, and we can worship him for the things that he is and for what he does. Or perhaps we want to consider the words of the angels. You know, for thousands of years, the angels have been worshiping God, and they can't seem to get past calling him holy. Holy, 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 they cry out. And so if you can't think of anything else to say to who God is, simply cry out holy. God, you are holy. It's a great place to start. Next, Jesus invites us to pray, your kingdom come. God's kingdom come. And so when our prayers start with an intimate recognition of who God is as, as our Father, that he is worthy to be praised, and, and not only for who he is, but for all that he has done, it actually begins to take our eyes and our thoughts away from ourselves. And it begins to put them back onto God's heart and who he is and what he longs to do. And so we begin to naturally move towards a place where we long to see God's kingdom come. And so there's also this reality that Jesus actually believes that our prayers are one of the ways in which God's kingdom will be ushered to earth. He believes that our prayers will make a difference. So when we pray for his kingdom to come, that it isn't enabling it to happen. You know, for thousands of years, we, we have seen this over and over. Men who have tried to establish their own kingdoms. And over and over again, they seem to fail. And, and another king will come up and rule. And it's clear that all of our feeble attempts to be, set up our own kingdoms fall flat. They fall into ruin. But in First Chronicles chapter 29, we read this about God's kingdom. We read, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand, God, are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. I love it. It's a powerful description of God's kingdom. And is that not what our churches and the world needs around us right now? We need God's kingdom to reign here and now. And so we need to be praying. Let us keep praying, God, your kingdom come. Jesus continues by inviting us to ask God to give us each day our daily bread. This is where Jesus invites us to ask God for the things that we want and need. Once again, the disclaimer that God is not our own personal Amazon. We can't just pray a few right words and bam, what we want will be at our door in one to two business days. And we have a free return policy if we don't like what we get. But Jesus does invite us to ask God for the things we need. And so when we first start praying, this is actually where most of us begin our prayers. This is where our prayer life starts. We are desperate for something. We need something. And so we come to God and we ask him. But it seems to me that for some reason, the longer we spend time in the church, the more we start to think and believe that we need to move beyond this type of prayer. I love how Richard Foster puts it. He says, there is a temptation, especially by the sophisticated, to despise this most elementary way of praying. They want to skip over it in hopes of advancing to more mature expressions of prayer. What these people fail to see, however, is that it is necessary, even essential to the spiritual life, the only way we move beyond self-centered prayer, if indeed we do, is by going through it, not by making a detour around it. You know, once again, this is why I think Jesus wants us to first and foremost understand who we are praying to. Because when we understand the Father's heart towards us, we understand that he longs to give us good gifts as his children. And so we are actually invited to ask because we know that God will give us the things that we need. I also love what Andrew Murray has to say about this. He says, when we're talking about our daily bread, he writes, at our first entrance into the school of waiting upon God, the heart is chiefly set upon the blessings which we wait for. God graciously uses our need and desire for help to educate us for something higher than we are thinking of. We are seeking his gifts, he, the giver, longs to give himself and to satisfy the soul with his goodness. So what an incredible opportunity that as we seek him for the things we need, we actually find him. Next, Jesus teaches us, forgive us our sins. And so once we have come before the Father and worshipped him, and once we have asked him for our needs, he invites us to actually confess our sins. Andrew Murray once again writes this. He says, if we are honest in our longing for holiness, in our prayer to be holy, the Lord's, his presence will stir up and discover hidden sin and bring us very low in the bitter conviction of the evil of our nature. I don't know about you, but I don't think anyone I know likes to admit when they're wrong. Or we don't like to admit even when we've committed some kind of a sin. No, I certainly don't like it when I have to admit that I'm wrong. 
we don't like to acknowledge when we've done those things that have hurt others or have, you know, have been a sin against God. And when we do want to acknowledge those things, we would rather ask a blanket prayer of forgiveness than to invite God to actually convict us of the things that are of the things of sin that are deeply rooted in our lives. And yet there is no other way for us to actually deal with the sin in our lives than what Jesus has told us that we need to have it revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. And so when you are praying for God's holy presence to be stirred within you, you need to be prepared that you will more than likely be led by his kindness to your sin. And it's in his kindness that he leads us to repentance. And so as followers of Jesus, we should actually embrace God revealing our sins to us. This is something we shouldn't hide from. We shouldn't be, you know, scared of. Because we know that God will actually forgive us of our sins when we come to him in repentance, when we ask for his forgiveness. You know, as we go through this series, a few of the other prayers that we're going to be looking at, we're going to include the prayer of examine and prayers of repentance. We saw it in the kids' moment where David prayed a prayer of repentance. But the truth is, is that when we allow God to bring our sins into our light, when we empty ourselves of our sin, when we bring them out, when we expose them for what they are and we allow God to forgive us, we can truly experience his presence. And so we need to bring things into the light. You know, it's easy to say I'm broken and I need God. It's another thing to truly believe that God will forgive you and that God will deeply transform you and cleanse you. But the reality is is that God cannot cleanse in us that which we don't admit or acknowledge. If we never want to actually deal with it, if we never want to speak those things out, how can God bring bring us forgiveness? And when you're asking for forgiveness, this is one of the things I've I've learned over the years. Don't Don't just have a broad asking for forgiveness. Be specific. Don't just say, Father, forgive me for my anger. Or forgive me for this one thing. Ask him to be specific. Ask him to show you the things that you need to ask forgiveness for. Because if God is bringing something to your mind, be specific in your repentance of it. For what you did and how it might have been received by others. God longs to forgive you. And we are invited to bring before him those things in which we have committed sins against him and others. The next part of what Jesus invites us to pray is that for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. You know, I think it's fairly safe to say that most of us love that we are forgiven, that God will forgive us of our sins. We love to feel the grace of God, but we're often slow to extend it towards others. We actually seem to like holding on to our offenses and our judgments of others. Um, You know, it gives us a little bit of a sense of pride. We like to hold on to our resentment and our bitterness and even our anger. But this isn't what Jesus is calling us to. I think there's a reality that when we begin to grasp just how much we have been forgiven, I think this is why asking for specific forgiveness over things is important. We recognize who we are and the magnitude to which God has extended his grace towards us. And in the end, it should actually lead us to a place where we stop judging others for their sins. 
Henry Nowen writes this. He says, when we are filled with God's merciful presence, we can do nothing other than minister because our whole being witnesses to the light that has come into the darkness. The compassionate person, the forgiven person, is so aware of the suffering of others that it is not even possible for him or her to dwell on their sins. You know, throughout his, his life and his ministry, we see Jesus rebuking the self-righteous. But he was constantly filled with compassion for the broken and the wounded, and those who would come before him, and he would forgive them. I wonder, is there anyone in your life right now that you need to forgive? Is there anyone that has hurt or offended you that you continue to hold resentment, bitterness, or anger towards? Take a moment and consider that. And as God reveals names to you, invite him to help you to forgive them, just as God has forgiven you. And so Jesus has taught the disciples, when you pray, you are to pray to your Father, worshiping and acknowledging who he is, Ask him for the things that you need. Ask him for forgiveness as you forgive others. And then he finally leads us to pray this. Lead us not into temptation. Most of the time when we think of the word temptation, we tend to think in terms of something that leads us towards sin or doing something immoral or wrong. I was tempted by this or I was tempted by that. I knew I shouldn't be doing it, but I wanted to anyways. But this isn't necessarily what God or what Jesus is talking about in this moment. See, the word that Jesus uses here is the word perisimos in the Greek. And the word here actually for temptation simply means trial or test. It has no moral connotations about being prevented from doing something immoral or wrong or sinful. So when Jesus is inviting us to pray to God to lead us not into temptation, He's actually, in a way, saying, keep us safe from trials. Keep us safe from the things that are going to come our way. Protect us, God. And so this prayer is actually similar to many of the prayers that we read throughout the book of the Psalms, where the psalmist is praying for protection. He's praying for God to be the wing over him, protecting him, to be a refuge and a safe place. And so, in a way, Jesus is actually bringing his disciples back to an intimate place of where they began, in the presence of their Father who will care for them. The Lord's Prayer, as Jesus teaches us to us in, in Luke, is not a long prayer, but it is packed full with so much goodness, so much grace, so much opportunity. It has the potential to revolutionize the way you see prayer and even the way you pray. As we close this morning, I'm going to once again invite you to take some time to work through some questions for reflection. They're going to be on the screen at the end, and maybe you want to talk with them with your spouse or with your family, or maybe you need to take some time to pray through them and to journal your response. But as we close this morning, I want to invite you, wherever you are, wherever you're watching from, to join with me in praying. Just as the disciple, or just as Jesus taught his disciples. And so we pray this Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us 
not into temptation. Amen.